Good morning. We have so many exciting things to talk about and share today, but let's just go ahead and begin with prayer, and then we'll start with, uh, with announcements and sharing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. You have truly blessed, and, and we just offer our praise and our, our celebration of our heart's joy to you, and we thank you for what you've done for, for us and for our ministry, for, uh, for this message around the world. We ask that you will be with us this morning here as we study, that our minds will be drawn closer to you, and you will continue to pour your spirit upon this message around the world, that the world will be lighted, and you will come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And as you know, this is my first week back after being at the GC. For, for those, it's a general conference session, which meets every five years. This year it was in San Antonio, and we, uh, there were about 70,000 people in attendance. It was an, an amazing spectacle and event. Uh, the uh, exhibit hall, if any of you have ever gone to professional exhibit halls, and I've done exhibit halls at the American Medical Association and Psychiatric Association, and I'm going to tell you they were dwarfed compared to this experience. They, they actually had three separate exhibit halls connected together in order to contain all of the exhibits. Um, our particular exhibit um, was at the end of, of A Hall, and then ref- all of our stored supplies that we had to bring to, to resupply ourselves as we were giving things away were stored at the, end, at the back end of C Hall, which was at least a quarter of a mile away. I mean, that's how far these, the, we had to walk. It was, a, it was about a 20-minute walk to walk there and back um, to, to get the materials to refill. This is just an amazing, huge event. Um, but it was a huge success, and so I want to give thanks to God because for those of you who know our journey for the last five years, it was an absolute miracle. An intervention, an opening, an opportunity that God provided for us, not only to be there, but to provide the resources that came in to be able to produce uh, and give away what we gave away uh, while we were there. I also want to thank you, this group here in Collegedale, for being on this journey with us. You remember five years ago, our journey from campus to, to here and, and how we've um, decided this message was something we're sharing. And so we started pulling together to start sharing and building resources to share. And, and as you know, then going online and sharing it around the world. Then I want to thank our online class who has been faithful supporters of us as well, enabling us to do this. And then I also want to give thanks to the people who actually came and worked at our our booth and donated their time. And that would be Dean and Zoe Scott, Jim and Carla Harris, who came from Michigan, Russell Atkins, Lori Atkins, Chip and Lori Lyles, Dennis and Kathy Kiley, Kirsten Weldon, Christy Jennings, Luann Serafine, who uh, came from California, Simon Harrison, who came all the way from Australia and was there the entire time, and just what a, what a blessing he was to our ministry. James and Donna Ehrlich, and then uh, a special guest helper who, who was actually a delegate, but actually uh, just dropped in and helped us several days, was, was a Carla, Cara Dale from Australia, and she helped us as well. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Our booth at the exhibit hall um, was was just so well re- received. We had people coming up to us every day from all over the world. And I'll just list the, the, the countries that I remember, um, and I know there were some I, I forgot. Canada, Mexico, Costa Rica, Brazil, Argentina, Bermuda, Trinidad, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, England, Sweden, Germany, France, China, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, Jordan, Taiwan, Botswana, Kenya, Congo, Puerto Rico, and these are the people that are already using our materials. Not just got it for the first time, but these are people who came up and said how much the materials have changed their life, have impacted them, have helped them see God in a, in a, in a more meaningful way. And then after those uh, people that, those people just coming up celebrating what this ministry is already doing, so happy that we were there, we had others that would come up and they would be 
I'm not so sure about this. And they would be maybe questioning, skeptical. Uh, and, uh, and they would take the materials, though. And then we'd come back the next day. We had multiple, I couldn't count the number of people who took our materials. And the next day came back with a whole clutch of their friends telling them you have to get this stuff. And they would tell us, I was skeptical, but I went home last night and I watched the first lecture on healing the mind. Changed my life. I was skeptical. I went home last night, read the first chapter and could it be this simple? Changed my life. And, and so they brought their friends with them. Additionally, we had people coming up from basically every major institution in the, in the denominational system and affiliate organizations that work for those organizations telling us that they're supporters of ours, that they listen to us every week, that they're, they're for us. Even ministries that you would think would be that ministry's message is oppositional to our message, there are people working in those systems that listen to us every week and support what we're doing. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, we had... Uh, multiple pastors and conference officials coming up and telling us uh, how much they appreciate this. And they took m- people, multiple pastors took cases of our material to take back to their church. They said, I want a case of books. I want a case of DVDs. Take back share with my church. Um, the, one of the union directors, a ministerial director for one of the Adventist unions, has requested 500 copies of each of our DVDs to give to every pastor in his union. Isn't that amazing? The Lord is blessing. So we're going to be shipping those out here in the next week or so. Um, I was interviewed on an FM radio station that broadcasts nationwide in Jamaica. And uh, the host came to our booth the next day and was telling us how incredible responses they've got called in to, to this perspective of God that we were sharing in Jamaica. I did three Hope interviews, Hope Channel interviews. One was broadcast while we were there. Two were recorded and we broadcast in the future. I think one around Easter weekend. We took 10,000 each of the God in Your Brain, Healing the Mind, and God in Your Church DVDs. We gave away all 10,000 of God of Healing the Mind. We gave away 9,000 of the other two each. Uh, we we uh, took 10,000. Could it be this? Uh, could it be this simple in English and in Spanish? We just uh, got out just in time for the for the um, the GC, and we gave about 8,000 of each of those away. And uh, 7,500 of the study guides, Cosmic Conflict study guides are given away. In addition to the, the, um, the Venn diagram and the various postcards and flyers and things. Uh, Dean is uh, writing an article uh, to be submitted to the Southern Tidings because the person who writes for the Southern Tidings has requested that. We'll, we'll see if it ultimately makes publication. But he's working on an article. And he's asked those who have who were there for our booth to submit some experience or share something. And Luann Seraphine, um, one of our online class members who came from California, emailed this in this week, and I wanted to share this with you guys. A year ago, thereabouts, a friend told me about a website. He said, I think you will really appreciate it. So I, I, uh, so I, I, I checked it out. Amazingly, what I found that day on Come and Reason Ministries' website and what I continue to find is an open invitation to join the ongoing dynamic and robust conversation about all things that really matter in this life. Part of my professional background includes approximately a decade immersed in emergency services, fire, rescue, medical transport, and an additional 20 years of trauma emergency nursing background. While working to help patients in my care, I have listened to story after story. The similarities we all share have become very visible to me. A common thread might read, my day started out like any other. I was, and then it just happened so fast, now everything has changed. The unthinkable circumstances or event shows up at the door, and thus the difficult conversation come, conversations come to all of us whether we are prepared or not. As a nurse, I continue to find myself very 
briefly in the midst of someone else's story and perhaps a pivot point in life. Each time it has happened, uh, I have been handed a role to play. The critical question for me has been, so what do you have to give them right now that will be real and have lasting and meaningful value? It takes only a few passes in this scenario for a person to discover that all the conventional, traditional, religious, and scripted secular answers, those I was given in my past or in my training, fall woefully deficient in the face of raw reality. At Come and Reason Ministries, I found tools that help others and myself in just these kinds of moments. Come and Reason Ministries is a community of people, a team unafraid to look at the reality of the world we live in. Open minds willing to study and think through biblical principles, applying these concepts to every aspect of our existence here as it really is. I have discovered a sanctuary of contemplative free thought in this community of people. By using the online presentations at Come and Reason Ministries, the seemingly divergent and disconnected ideas of the past are now melting away. Conflicting concepts are now merging seamlessly into a beautiful cacophony of integrated truth about God's love, about the freedom he has handed to us that we may know truth and live love abundantly, these tools have changed my life. When you discover truth that has power to change your world and change the lives of those around you, how can you not want to jump in and help share these same tools and resources with anyone and everyone who will listen? In San Antonio, Texas, only a few blocks away from the Texas Shrine of Freedom, the Alamo, I saw hundreds of people from four corners of the earth truly free to search for truth. I watched those who took a moment to stop at Come and Reason Ministries booth and indulge in the freedom of thought God calls us into, exploring ideas and concepts of his love. In the eyes of so many, I saw the same light of understanding go on. Over and over, I can still see the many smiles of excitement and how folks would return with their friends. One very tall, beautiful, articulate woman, uh, educated, wearing a lovely purple dress, stands out in my mind. As some of us spoke with her, I could see in her eyes, her eyes dance as she experienced rapid-fire aha moments. It was such a joy to place into the hands of so many people, free to them, the very tools that have been helping me over the past year. We can all see the whole world is now deeply embroiled in a war where the real theater of battle is in the mind, in our thoughts, contained in our worldviews of how life should be and how God operates his universe. Thank you, Come and Reason Ministry team, for reaching out to, to all of us helping us to have the conversations that are very overdue, waking us up to the awareness that God has already handed us the most powerful weapons in the universe to win this war against evil, sickness, loss, and death. These are truth, freedom, and love, and they are best revealed through the heart and life of our Lord Jesus, our most intimate friend forever. So I'm going to pause there. Oh, by the way, Luann's testimony was just an expression of what we heard verbally over and over again from people coming up. So I'm going to pause there and ask any of you guys who were at the booth, and I see several of you here, if you'd like to take a moment and share anything with the class here worldwide that really spoke to you and your experience while you're there. Russell, go ahead. One of the most common questions I heard there was, how do you guys give this stuff away? Uh, countless, countless people came up. How, how can you afford to give this stuff away? Because there were upwards of 900 booths there, and nearly every one of them had something to sell. It was a music CD, book, lecture series, whatever. It was, it was trying to be sold. And people were just astonished. Even though we had signs all around the booth, free DVDs, free books, free this, that, and the other. They were, they were just amazed that we were able to give stuff away. And it's a testimony 
like you mentioned, not only to the support that we have in this core group, the financial support and the moral support and the spiritual support, but also those who are watching and listening online, those who have received the materials and have been moved by the Holy Spirit to give us some kind of contribution online or mail check-in or whatever it is. Um, that's how we are able to give this stuff away. The, the doors that were opened and the, the resources that came in allowed us to produce all these things, allowed us to print the books, allowed us to ship the stuff in. The, the shipping and receiving costs alone were staggering. Um, so it's, it's an affirmation to those of us who have, who have contributed financially and, and spiritually, and we're, we're about to experience some growing pains, I believe. Uh, so this is going to need to continue. I want to tell a story following up on that then. I had a fundraiser for one of the Adventist universities come to our booth and, and said he wanted to talk to me about fundraising because uh, he saw we're giving all the stuff away. And I said, I don't do fundraising. I said, I don't like fundraising. I don't like soliciting for funds. I don't like asking for funds. I said, nobody on my team likes it. He said, well, how do you do this? I said, we just give stuff away. People, uh, we, we are a not-for-profit ministry, so pe- we can accept donations, but we don't really solicit. We don't go out hunting for money. And uh, I said, we just give stuff away, and then people that are moved by the message come up, uh, donate, because they want to help share it with others, because we believe this message actually changes lives. And, and, th- and that, that and, and as, as Luann said, you just can't be still once you see the power of this message change lives. You want to share it, so people share with us. And while I'm standing there talking to this guy, a third party, stranger to me, never met him before, walks up to our booth and says, how can you afford to give all this stuff away? And I just said the same spiel to him about how we just give. And he opened his wallet and handed me a $100 bill. <laughs> and I looked at the other guy and said, see? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that was the end of that conversation with him. So we, we had this happening all along. We took very few donations. We had multiple people offer us. But we said, look, we're not here to, we don't want this to look like, oh, okay, we'll give you this if you give us that. I said, so if you feel like giving, mail us a check. Um, I took that one just because of the object lesson opportunity there. Um, but most of the time when people offer us money, we didn't take it. We just said, no, look, go home, check the material out. If you like it, then, then if, you, if you feel moved, send us something. But this isn't here to get a donation from you. It's here to help change your life. And uh, so that's, that's the approach we took. We had a lot of, a lot of opportunity to, to reveal the law of giving. Yes. I explained the law of beneficence and giving numerous times to people and how it works. And this is the way we created. It's part of how we're creating God's image. We're created to give. And the more you give, the more you... Receive. And we released this DVD for those who have been waiting. This DVD is now available. It got in your church that we recorded here in March. We released it there to really positive reviews. And we've, when we released it, Dean put it up on our website and we started getting emails immediately from people streaming it and watching it saying how much they appreciate this. So we have, I brought several cases out here today. So this local class, you guys can take as many as you want if you want some to share. I put two cases here. I've got another case of my car. So take as many as you'd like with you today. As you, as you leave here today. Anybody else want to make a comment? Yeah. Wendell. As someone who did not participate as a volunteer in your booth, but happened to buy very briefly, I thought it was a testament that you put your money where your mouth was. And that is, many booths had padded floors, had many chairs to sit down in for the staff, and had other things that made life better for them, but at significant cost. And that wasn't at your booth. Your booth was very attractive from the front. It was very appealing and, and was explaining what your, your message was and whatnot. And you had materials to give out. But it was not creature comforts. 
for the staff that were actually putting in the hours there. Yeah, there's concrete floor behind the tables, and uh, and we could have uh, purchased carpet through the facility to put down, and and to have just a, a strip of carpet laid behind our tables for that um, for that 11 day period would have been twelve hundred dollars. Wow. And so we we chose not to do that, and we were blessed because one of the um, uh, tables uh, across from us had actually brought a couple of extra rubber mats, and they and they just loaned them to us for the week. And we th- so we threw some rubber mats down after the third day, I think. The first three days we were on concrete, and uh, to get an extra chair, uh, the, your booth comes with two chairs each. Okay, two little plastic chairs, kind of like these, to get an extra. And you had six people in the booth at all times. Yeah, we had six people in the booth. So we had we had four chairs because we had a double booth. It was double wide, so we had four chairs. But um, to get an extra chair would have uh, cost three hundred dollars each. So, so we didn't we didn't do that either. Go ahead. We didn't have time to sit down. Yes. <laughs> and one thing that I tried to do was mention that that we had this weekly Bible study, and that's two weeks in advance. And I said, you can go in and you can print off all the notes, and then you can go home and teach the lesson yourself. You know, or right, right. And their eyes just got so big. They said, oh, really? I said, I'm a Sabbath school teacher. I can do this. And they got, you know, everybody had a smile on their face after. Yeah, just, just hugely positive. You, I wish you all could be there. I know Russell... Um, told me, and Russell, you can comment on this, how when you come to the class here every week, you get a, a you know, you kind of get a kind of myopic view of, the, it's us, this is our class. But when you were there and people were coming up, and they were coming up to Russell too, because he teaches when I'm out of, out of, out of town, and uh, to get this perspective that, that this ministry really is a long reach around the world. Uh, it was quite humbling, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No question. Yeah, and I, I wish you guys could experience that because it just invigorated those of us who went. It was so invigorating for us and empowering to realize that we this ministry is making a real difference in lives all over the world. Yeah. Yes, James. One of the things that really stood out in my mind was we had a gentleman stop by from Cuba. I didn't get that one, so good. And it just stands out in my mind. He said, do you have somebody that's brave that's willing to come to Cuba? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't meet that person. So, did you send some of our Spanish books back? He did. Good. Materials. Cool. I like to think that we helped contribute to the meltdown of the San Antonio Airport luggage system. I don't know if you heard about that. No, I didn't. Tell that. Their luggage system on Sunday and Monday just said, "We not give up. The the belts quit because of all the pastors taking so much material home. The weight. Yeah. It was in their announcements on Sunday. You know, please, please remove books and whatever from your luggage. So, I like to think we helped. Uh, yeah, we we did. I mean, we know that people actually had suitcases full of our material going back. And they, some of us asked if we could ship, and I said, it much, "It's actually cheaper for you to replacing anyway." Yeah, right. Yeah, it's actually cheaper for you to pay a fifty-dollar luggage fee to take this back than it is for us to ship it. To ship outside the U.S., one case of our DVDs is like two hundred dollars. Wow. Something like that, yeah. So, all righty. Thank you all for sharing, and thank you all for your support. Let's let's go on with our our lesson. We're doing lesson number five in the on the quarterly biblical missionaries, and the title this week is Exiles as Missionaries. And the lesson focuses on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as captives in Babylon and Medo Persia. The first paragraph talks about. Um, uh, well, let's just let's go ahead and 
Look at Sunday's lesson, first paragraph. It says, Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, was force marched from a defeated Jerusalem into the Babylonian capital. The book of Daniel gives glimpses of his life in the courts of Babylon and Persia. After three years of education in Babylon, Daniel was employed as a civil servant and royal advisor. Through the power of God, he rose above normal captive status and became highly placed missionary to two superpowers. Um, do you think Daniel thought of himself as a missionary? When you think missionary, what comes to mind? Captive? So does missionary mean someone on a mission? Someone on a mission. Do we have a mission? Do we have a mission? Absolutely. What's our mission? To hasten the coming of Christ. To live God and share God. All your answers, all excellent answers. Would he have been considered more of an ambassador? I think he was, uh, you know, representing the truth and, and what, what he and Shadrach, I mean, God used them to bring knowledge of God to these people, no question about it. I, I, I looked up this idea of mission in, uh, in the historical record, and Ellen White wrote the following in Three Testimonies, 381. It says, the mission of the church is to save perishing sinners. It is to make known the love of God to men and to win them to Christ by the efficacy of that love. Notice, what's the mission? To reach sinners with what message? Efficacy of love. The love of God and how effective it is in their life. The truth for this time, pause, what is the truth for this time? It's still the same message. Isn't it the beasts of Daniel and Revelation? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Which day that the Bible says is holy that we worship on? That's the message to take. The state of the dead is the message to take. What do you think Christ's mission was? Christ's mission was pretty straightforward. It tells us, one, Hebrews 2.14, that by his death he destroyed him and holds the power of death that is the devil. So we had to reveal truth. And How does he destroy the devil's power, the power of death? This is life eternal. They might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who now is sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal death, then, is not knowing God. Satan's power, he's the father of lies about God. So his power, lies that we believe that separate us from God, keep us from knowing him, source of death. So he destroys him as the power of death. That is the devil by revealing the truth about God. Father, I've finished the work you've given me to do. I've made you known. John 17, 4, 5. So one, he had to reveal truth about God to to destroy the, the power of Satan's lies and win people to, to trust both here and in heaven. All things in heaven and earth are reconciled to Christ at the cross. Two, um, 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. By his death, he destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. He had to destroy the actual uh, defective condition that humankind was suffering under that causes death and restore God's life principle into the species human. And he did this. And three, 1 John 3, 8, that he destroyed the devil's work. And the devil's work is to efface the image of God in man and put Satan's image where God's image should be. And Christ perfectly restored God's image in man. So this was a redemptive work, a work of actual revelation of truth and rebuilding, um, if you will, into human- humanity, God's law, design, protocols, God's character, again, um, resided in the human species, in the person of Jesus Christ. And thus he becomes the source of salvation for all who trust him. This was accomplishments. So the final message, revel- uh, in, uh, fi- what is the final message? The same author writes in Christ's Object Lessons um, 4, 4.11, I believe it is, that the final message of mercy to lighten the world for Christ's return is the truth of God's character of love. That's the final message. So we'll keep on, on this quote. 
the truth for this time must be carried into the dark corners of the earth. And I think the truth is the truth of God's character of love. And this work may begin at home. The followers of Christ should not live selfish lives. In other words, they should live lives of love. But imbued with the spirit of Christ, they should work in harmony with him. There are causes for the present coldness and unbelief. Pause. What are the causes for the present coldness and unbelief? Though the love of the world and the cares of life separate the souls from God. What is the love of the world? Selfishness. I want you to actually pause and think. The love of the world, what is it? Selfishness. Certainly it's selfishness. Okay, that's easy. That's good. It's all about self. Okay, what else? How does that manifest? Well, the obvious ones, drugs, alcohol, pornography, those gambling, those are the obvious ones. What else is the love of the world? Pride. And particularly, how about this? The love of the world's method of governing. The love of an imperial system of authoritarian rule that will enforce pain and suffering on deviance, deviations from the law. The love of the world's governatorial system that we take and project onto heaven and we teach God is like a human worldly ruler who makes up rules and enforces those rules with threats of punishment and he's keeping records to judge people by and he's going to kill those people and torture them appropriately length of time to make them pay for their unconfessing. But that love of vengeance and all that is still stemmed in that egotistical, going to get it right, you're going to get yours someday, versus what yeah, you- Exactly. This is love of the world. And this is, I'm just pointing out, when we think of love of the world, we often think of those other things. But this also is, is a love, though. Do you remember Jesus said to the, to the rulers in his day, my kingdom is not of this world. this world. My kingdom doesn't operate like these kingdoms do. But how much of Christianity teaches God's kingdom operates functionally just like our kingdoms. He just has more power. That's it. He's just more powerful. One of the examples that you've given in the past that helped make that so clear was the uh, the burglar in the home. And what would you do to protect your family? Would you shoot him? Definitely would. What if it was your son? That clarity of everyone that you encounter in life is God's child, whether they realize it or not. And it's just their choice to make, whether they recognize that love that's already there. That part uh, explains how Christ could treat everyone with compassion, without even the thought of, you're going to get yours someday. Yes, and in fact, it's great sadness when you have a child who is deviating from design law. The obvious ones, smoking, drinking, drugs. Those are the obvious ones. But other ones, they're in a marriage and they're they're cheating on their spouse. You can predict what's going to happen with that too, can't you? We're putting up with cheating. And And so when you see a child deviating from design law... You don't say you're going to get yours in this vengeful way. You say with sadness, if you don't stop, you're going to get yours. Yeah. No, that's going to come, and you're going to you're going to you're going to you're going to be sorry one day. Not in you're going to be sorry one day, but with great grief. If you don't turn around, if you don't stop, it, it, you're going to suffer, and I hate it for you. So one is love of the world, and we want to include that aspect of loving the world's rulership and the way the world rules, and the other is cares of of life. What are the cares of life? This is not sin. Cares of life is not sin. Cares of life are the things that are necessary. 
that can be a distraction. Washing, cooking, feeding your kids, going to work, going to GC conferences and passing out materials, working on projects and books and speaking and uh, the cares of life. But you do it so much that there's no balance and you burn yourself out and you exhaust yourself. And then you can't. This is a metaphor I, I, I give sometimes of the farmer who has such compassion. He doesn't want to be selfish. He just wants to love. And, and so he's, he's going to donate all the food his farm creates, uh, generates for the homeless people of the world, so much so that he won't even eat one meal a day. Because he doesn't want to be selfish and take any for himself. How many does he feed in the end? None, because he starves to death. Okay? And this is one of the tricks of the devil for very altruistic people, people who are very conscientious, people who really want to help. He tricks them into denying themselves the basics. Remember, Jesus took time away to rest. Jesus took time away to sleep. Jesus took time away with his father. Jesus took time away to rejuvenate. But the devil tricks very conscientious people into thinking, oh no, there's still so much more work to do. There's people you could help. There's people you could feed. Oh no, how can you be so selfish and take time for yourself? And da, da, da. It's a deception. We have to maintain a balance. We're always in conflict, too, of the world's values that are thought to be positive versus eternal values like getting ahead, achievement, uh, making a good living, all of these right. values that are instilled if you're a responsible person. Right. But they can do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, so moving on with the, the question. I mean, the quote, the water of life must be in us. It's a metaphor. What's the water of life? Can we move past metaphor to what it really means? Remember he said the woman at the well, if you would ask me, I'd have given you living water, it well up inside you and overflow to many. So what, so what wells up inside her and overflows to many? The law of giving wells up and overflows. That's the, what is it? It's love. It's God's love. This pure love that comes from him that we receive. Remember Romans 5, 5, and we trust him, we open the heart and he pours his love into our hearts. This is the water of life. Love and truth, love and truth, poured in and it overflows from us to others. The water of life must be in us and flowing out from us, springing up into everlasting life. We must work out what God works in. Pause. What does that mean? How does this apply to the idea of salvation by grace and not by works versus the idea of works without faith is dead? And how does the legal view always fail here? It always fails here. There's always a tension in the legal view on works and faith. There's never a tension in our view on this. Because what is it that Christ worked for us that we can never work for ourselves? The remedy. The cure. Think about being sick, and there is a remedy, an antibiotic, an antiviral. You didn't create it. You didn't work it out. You didn't prepare it. But once it's offered to you free... Do you still have a work to do in partaking of it? Yes, we must partake of Jesus Christ. We become partakers of the divine nature. We don't create what heals, regenerates, restores. We don't create what saves us. There's no work for us in that. That's already done. But we do participate with Christ to partake what he's achieved. And it's a daily participation. Paul says, I die daily. It's a daily ingestion of truth and love. Truth and love. Partaking of Christ every day. And symbolically, in the old symbols, the meat represented the word, which is the truth, and the wine represented, or the blood of the lamb represented the life, or the, the, the character, the love of God, translated into the bread, 
which represents the word, which is the truth, and the wine, which is the life, which is the love. And so so thus we participate the truth and love character of Christ. We partake of that every day. The waters uh, uh, and flowing out from us up to everlasting life. Okay. If the Christian would enjoy the light of life, he must increase his effort to bring others to the knowledge of truth. If you want to have joy, if you want to have more, the more you give of love, the more you receive of love. And you heard in the letter that I read from Luann how, how when, when she was sharing and she saw the lights going on in people's, in people's mind and, and, and the aha moments, how that brought joy to her heart. If you've had that experience, it absolutely does. When you see people's minds being freed from fears and, and insecurities, it brings joy. And then Dan Wyatt, one of our online class members, emailed me this quote from Oswald Chambers this week. It's from my utmost for his highest. Reconciliation means the restoring of the relationship between the entire human race and God, putting it back to what God designed it to be. Wow, I love that. Design stuff here, I love that. What did God design the human race to be? What is God working for? Is God working for a legal pardon or an actual restoration of his design in his children? This is what Jesus, continue with the quote, this is what Jesus Christ did in redemption. Oswald Chambers, this is what he did. What did he do? Putting the human race back in the way God designed it to be. Brilliant. He took broken humanity upon himself and he cured it. He fixed what was broken in his own human experience by the exercise of his own human brain. The church ceases to be spiritual when it becomes self-seeking, only interested in the development of its own organization. Wow. Oswald Chambers had something going on, didn't he? Yeah. Do you ever, do, do denominations ever get caught up into the trap of denominationalism? Missing the focus of freeing hearts and minds from misunderstanding and fear and selfishness? Continuing with the quote, the reconciliation of the human race according to his plan means realizing him not only in our lives individually, but also in our lives collectively. Jesus Christ sent apostles to teach for this very purpose that the corporate person of Christ and his church made up of many members might be brought into being and made known. We are not here to develop a spiritual life of our own or to enjoy a quiet spiritual retreat. We are here to have a full realization of Jesus Christ for the purpose of building up his body. He has good stuff. Do you agree with that? So how can the mission of the church be derailed? By becoming involved in the issues of the world, politics. Boy, so much of the church, regardless of denomination, it gets pulled into politics. Laws of the land, judges and senators, uh, fighting for this or that change in legislation. Imposing law. Imposing law, rather than changing hearts and minds. The early church lived in a system that had a quasi-democratic rule with senators and governors and so forth. But did they spend their energies seeking to get Roman citizenship so they could then be represented and vote for Roman senators and, and then hope to change laws and get better rights for the citizens? Did they spend their time doing this? No, they focused on changing hearts and minds. And what happened? They changed the world. And Rome eventually, you know, they had to give up their pagan gods because so many people were converting to Christianity. And what did they do? Said, they said, paganized Christianity. <laughs> yeah. 
Satan doesn't care how he distracts you, whether it's being focused on someone else's fashion, the, the legalism, the politics, the anything, but if he can distract you anyway. So the church is derailed by politics. What else? By coming to love the world and the world's methods. Thus, practicing coercive measures within the church system, teaching a coercive authoritarian God construct in the church system. This is derailed. We cannot win people to God and, and salvation and healing and transformation of character by falsehood, distortion of God's character. By focusing on one's spiritual development and ignoring the community of believers. This happens because, because of the first two, because church becomes so political, because church becomes so um, um, oppressive in some sy- systems with an authoritarian and ungracious God, many individuals disengage from the system and say, I'm going to stay home and be spiritual. Yes, I've seen it happen a lot. Many of my patients, actually, this is their approach. I don't have to go to church to be spiritual. No, but you have to go to church to be part of a collective, part of a group of people who, who are on mission together the, to, to do something in, in, in a larger way. And so the church gets derailed by having people with good relation with God disengage and isolate. By focusing on organizational development rather than salvation of souls. We focus our energies on building the next big structure or saving the institutional name rather than reaching people. Or mission is about converting people, denominational infighting, converting people to our, our organization rather than helping them grow in their journey in spiritual development with God. Getting them to attest to our particular 28 fundamentals rather than their particular 28 fundamentals organizational infighting. We fight amongst ourselves. You remember they said in Christ's day, it's better for one man to die than the nation. Let's protect the institution. Institutions can do this today. They lose sight. And it's not necessarily that they're in evil intent. Uh, We put people in positions of authority to manage organizations. We put somebody in the position of a president of a union or a a conference or or a college, and and then they have fiscal responsibilities. How do we? We've got these real problems to deal with. How do we do that? We we don't want want to mismanage the funds so the thing goes into bankruptcy. We want to handle it properly. So they have real life decisions to make, but sometimes they, they can be so caught into that they lose sight of the purpose for the institution itself. It's not simply to maintain the institution. And there could be circumstances where it's better for the institution to collapse than to continue to promote it. Uh, If you look at Battle Creek and the institution there, that happened. The sanitarium was better for it to collapse than to continue it it under certain perspectives. The sectarian fighting and and so forth, the sheep-stealing aspects. All right, second paragraph says, The book of Daniel is more than a treasure of prophetic literature, the reader encounters some of the challenges facing Hebrews living in an alien culture that provided no apparent support for their loyalty to God and Israel, and at times was openly hostile. It also paints a beautiful picture of men who learn to live out their commitment to the truth in the absence of the temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. I found this quite profound. Quite profound. What does it mean that these three, these four individuals, and, and we suspect more These are only four that are brought out in Scripture. There's probably many more Israelites that were captive that were also faithful. We just don't have their story. But these individuals could be in a saving relationship with God without a priesthood, without a temple, without sacrifices. In the Old Testament time. 
Let your mind work on that for a minute. Will we say Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a saving relationship with God? Amen. I mean, we get the actual confirmation of Daniel uh, that he's going to rise with the righteous from Michael in Daniel 12. Yes. They probably understood that that was a shadow of things to come. Priesthood in the temple was a shadow of things to come. They were a copy of reality. Exactly. It was a shadow. But do we understand that? Yes, I, I appreciate where you're going with that. How many of us think today still? And, and this is where I'm going with this. It, it, it wasn't necessary for these Jews. It certainly wasn't necessary for Melchizedek, who wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a son of Abraham. It wasn't necessary for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't necessary for Naaman. We have other non-Jews that it wasn't necessary for as well. And here we have Jews that it wasn't necessary for. Then what do we do with the people today coming and tell us that today we have to start keeping the feasts? The feasts are, are, are to be kept before the Lord comes. There's a group in Adventism teaching this. Do you know that? Were we taught to, 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 to be very afraid because one day we're going to endure a time when we have no intercessor and Christ will no longer be pleading his blood before the Father and in our names and the books will all be signed and blotted and sealed and there will be no more intercession and you better get right with God. I still taught today. Concrete. So the point, I think what you're saying, what I'm trying to help people see, is that all this Old Testament stuff is metaphor. It's simply tools. So think of it this way. How many tools to help us experience an actual transforming relationship with God where we trust him, Holy Spirit comes in, writes his law in our hearts and minds, regenerates us in righteousness, in reality, we get new hearts, right spirits, minds that think in, in harmony with God's design. We, we act in harmony with God because it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. This is transformational stuff going on, okay? That's the goal. All those little things were designed to help bring people to that experience. That's all. So think about this. How many of you have ever sung hymns are hymns a requirement for salvation? If you don't sing hymns, you can't be saved. But, the joy- but have you sung hymns and in the singing of hymns experienced something spiritual? Yeah. Have you had your heart touched? Have you had your mind opened? Have you drawn closer to God? Have you- so these hymns are a useful tool to help us experience something with God, but they're not a requirement something you must do, and if you don't, you can't be saved. These sacrifices, these, these old ritualistic systems, they're all the same. They're simply tools to help us in an actual experiential process. But sadly, many people focus on somehow the, the, the effort of, of doing the ritual itself, or the ritual itself is necessary. And in Christianity, we hear this if you aren't baptized in the right way. If you don't, I've had Christians tell me, if you didn't have the right words said over you when you were baptized... If you weren't baptized in the right name, the right verbal uh, uh, syllables coming out of the mouth of the person who did it, why they baptized, then it didn't count. If uh, this happened, one, one person, while we were at the GC, we were giving away the uh, Cosmic Conflict Bible Study Guide, as you know, and one person came up and said, well, what Bible does it use in here? And they opened up in the inside because they're all listed, NIV, there's a whole bunch listed, NIV, MS, a whole bunch of them listed because there, there's a whole bunch used at different places in there. And they immediately slammed it shut and jumped back like they'd been bit by a snake. The only King James. Only King James. If you don't use King James, then you can't actually under... It's it's not true. Mm. And and, and you see the level of mentality here. Do you think that the the writers of the scripture were writing in King James English? I mean, it's it's just incomprehensible to me. 
But these are the types of things that people throw up as barriers or obstacles to true regeneration transformation. And so God gives us tools. The King James Bible was a tool. It was very helpful for its day. Lovely, wonderful. Put it in the hands of people where they can read it. Yes. If we come back to the thief on the cross, he didn't get baptized, he didn't get anything else, but he had heart transformation. So if we just start there and understand the benefit and value of so many things, but not have them become barriers, uh, it can it can make them stepping stones instead of barriers. Yeah, I love the thief on the cross as a great example, but I really uh, like the idea of what the lesson pointed out here also of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel in the Old Testament setting, not doing any of the ritualistic stuff. Really profound. It wasn't that they were in rebellion and refusing. They weren't. They didn't have an opportunity. It just points out it wasn't necessary for salvation. And this is what the whole book of Hebrews tries to make clear to the Jews. Yes. It's interesting elsewhere in the lesson, maybe it was was this page, you can't remember, but it also talks about what are we willing to give up that is culturally associated with our religion that we use to maintain our spiritual walk. So Daniel still prayed three times a day at the usual times of sacrifice, even though the sacrifice was not going on in the direction he was praying. And so what was necessary? Was it the sacrifice or was it his daily connection with God? It's, it's, the self-sacrifice. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Yes, okay, good. So he was sacrificing what really matters. Good. So he was continuing the meaningful portion of his worship even though the ritualistic portion had disappeared. And what many Christians fail and fall into is a trap where we substitute and do the ritualistic without ever doing the meaningful portion. Yes. Coming back to that idea of the, the feast days, okay, and I, I understand where you're coming from with you know, your comments about there's certain people that want to promote the feast days as, you know, to, to some people, especially if you grew up in the Jewish religion and you become a Messianic Jew, they can retain a lot of meaning that point back to Christ. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I have some friends in that. So what, what, what did you hear me say about the feast days? Well, I thought I heard you say that, did you know that there were Adventists that are promoting the feast days? In- As necessary to keep for <laughs> salvation. Yeah, I, I'm totally on board with you. I don't think themselves are important, okay? But if, there, if there's some meaning there that reminds them of Christ and reminds them of, you know, what he's done in their lives and so on, um, would you have a problem with that? Sure. That's why I brought up the hymns. Yeah, okay. See? They're just like the hymns. Some of us have certain hymns that maybe we grew up with that our current um, kids would never want to sing. <laughs> but we sing them because they have meaning to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and when we sing them, our heart warms. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with singing the hymns or doing the feast days. But if I were to say... If you don't sing this hymn, you can't be saved. Or I must sing this hymn because if I don't sing this hymn, I can't be saved. You see, that's... Yeah, yeah, but no, there's nothing wrong with doing these things if it's uh, simply something that helps one in a journey, as long as you're experiencing what's real. And so these, these feast days were given for this purpose, to help people experience a higher reality. But what's happened, at least in some individuals within Adventism, the... 
um, and I'm not saying all, but some, they actually begin promoting the feast days as a legal obligation, something that the final remnant must do because they're the commandment-keeping people. And if you're not keeping the commandments and doing all the laws that, da, 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 that have their antitypical fulfillment and we're not observing them on the antitypical day, blah, 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 then the, then the Lord's... Uh, uh, see where I'm going with this? Can't we come back yes. down to what Christ said the law was? And? And the law is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. So the last paragraph talks about Daniel. Um, it says, every institution, it's actually quoting out of Testimonies of the Church, every institution that bears the name Seventh-day Adventist is to be to the world as Joseph in Egypt and as Daniel in the fellow, and his fellows in Babylon. In the providence of God, these men were taken captive that they might carry uh, to a heathen nation the knowledge of the true God. They were to be representatives of God in, in our world, so forth and so forth. So forth. Um, what did they promote to Pharaoh, excuse me, not Pharaoh, to, um, to uh, the king? Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar and the two kings. What did they promote? I guess Joseph was to Pharaoh and the other was to king. Yes, yeah, as we mentioned Joseph. Yeah. So what did they promote? Did they promote the Seventh-day Sabbath? No. Tithing. They promote uh, the, the sanctuary service to these people. What did they promote? They promoted something quite, quite profoundly. It was the truth about God. That was what they promoted. The, 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 the creator God, the, the creator God who was compassionate, who wanted to save, who was merciful, who was gracious, who intervened with the powers of destruction. So in Pharaoh's case, he intervenes with the, with the, with the prophecy of the seven years of plenty so we can stir up to prepare against the destruction of the famine that's coming. He intervened in, in Daniel's case to, to, uh, uh, to deliver from the fiery furnace and to shut the lion's mouth. He, this is a God who delivers and saves from the destructive forces who are plotting against us. This is what they revealed. They also modeled design law. They lived nutritionally and healthfully, and thus they ended up being wiser. Wiser not just because of the way they lived, they had better physical bodies and brains, but also because they worshiped the true God. And only by worshiping the infinite one do we advance and grow in our knowledge. Anything on earth that we worship degrades us. Thus they were wiser than all the others. This is the law of worship, by the way. By beholding, we become changed. They modeled an understanding of how reality works. They lived in harmony with how things were built. This was what they were doing. Rather than the superstitions of the day. What message are we presenting to the world? Monday's lesson, Daniel 2, the story of Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, troubles him, calls the wise men, tell me the dream, tell me what it means or I'm going to kill you all. And uh, you know that uh, Daniel comes along and says, um, uh, the, the king says to Daniel after prayer, that's revealed to him the dream and the meaning, Daniel goes to him and the king says to him, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Are you able to tell me? Now, remember, he's prayed about it. He now has the knowledge of the dream in his head. He has the knowledge of what the dream means in his head. And the question direct, are you able to tell me? How many of us would say yes? I mean, there's a direct question. Are you able to tell me the dream and what it means? But Daniel doesn't say yes. Daniel says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what is to come in the, in the future days. Notice just without selfishness, without, 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 without a, a sense of, um, of egomania, just a, a reflexive response, the answer could have been, yes. well, yeah, I've got the answer. But he didn't do that. Why? Because Daniel was motivated by love. And he saw this as an opportunity. Hey, there's an opportunity here now. 
I'm concerned about Nebuchadnezzar and his eternal destiny. Right now, Nebuchadnezzar is interested. How did this come to be? I can just say yes and I have the answer, but he'll miss something. So instead, I'm going to take this opportunity and say, hey, there's a God in heaven, the creator God that you, you really don't know yet. He's the one who's revealed to you. He's speaking to you, Nebuchadnezzar. Are you listening? He sent you a dream about future events. And so Daniel's answer was, was, was constructed with concern for Nebuchadnezzar's eternity, I think. You also have to understand how these people treated gods. The victors, gods, were the ones that were given the credits. That's why you saw all these gods in temples and why princesses and everyone else brought their gods because the gods were the ones that led them into victory. And by pointing him to a higher god, he's like introducing the higher god as the superior one into Nebuchadnezzar's network of gods, saying, this is your higher god that's showing you this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, same, same type of response with his three friends in the fiery furnace. Our yeah. God is able to save us yeah. from this. But, but even, even if, he if he chooses not to, we will still not bow down to your God. And then, then the dream, the rock that comes out and crushes. The rock comes out and crushes the statue and everything under it is representative of the kingdom of God, which represents really Jesus, right? So what does it mean that crushes? Well, depends on which law lens you're looking through. Looking through one law lens, he's coming back to punish those people who did wrong, and he's going to make them pay with his power. This is First uh, Peter 2, 6 through 9, and then I'm going to read to you from the remedy. This is exactly what the scripture is talking about. See, I will put a stone in the land of promise, an especially chosen, perfect foundation stone. And whoever trusts in him and is put in harmony with him will never be put to shame. For you who know and trust God, this stone's is this stone is life's one true treasure. But to those who don't know and trust God, this stone was thought to be worthless and rejected, but is actually the one upon which all life is built, a stone of pure love that trips up selfish men and a rock of holiness, humility, and truth over which sinful, proud, and deceitful fall. The sinful, proud, and deceitful fall. They trip and fall because they prefer selfishness to love and unhealed selfishness is a terminal condition exactly as God diagnosed. But you who trust God and build up and build upon the stone are a select and special people, royal ministers of God's healing remedy, a clean and purified nation, a people whose hearts and minds are in unity and oneness with God that you may that you may commend with your words and lives him who called you out of darkness, the darkness of fear and selfishness into this wonderful light of truth and love. I see the crushing coming as the crushing of truth, crushing lies and love crushing selfishness. This is, this is what crushes. He, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail. And in a war f- sitting, footing, what, what type of a weapon is a gate? Defensive. It's defensive weapon. Satan has infected human minds with lies about God and now he is trying to defend against the forward m- movement of the truth. But the gates of lies cannot stop the truth. The truth will demolish them. We have divine weapons to demolish strongholds. And the truth is, is marching forward and, and freeing hearts and minds. And, and this is our mission and our purpose to take the truth about God, uh, his character and how it actually works in real life to a world that is actually still very superstitious in much of its ways and is thinking about God. I'm going to have to jump really quick. Um, Tuesday's lesson, it talks about Daniel and the Medes and Persians. He's still, um, I mean, just think about the character of Daniel. The Medes and Persians come in, overthrow the Babylonians, and where's Daniel find himself? He's ruling again. That's, that's just, just 
just think about the quality and character of Daniel, that the, the, the new conquerors keep him in a position of authority. It was quite profound. But in, uh, when, and, and then, it, then Darius gives an edict after the lion's den, after Daniel is, is delivered from the lion's den and the other guys are thrown in. Darius gives an edict, a governmental edict that is, um, I think it's in the lesson, I have time to read it, but you know what it says. It basically says the God of Daniel, and you can read it in, in, in Daniel, is to be recognized and worshipped and, and revered through all the, the, the empire, blah, 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 so forth and so on. What method of evangelism is Darius using? Declarative. Use that. Yeah. So think that through. So Darius is won over to what? A bigger God. A more powerful God. He's won over to the God of Daniel, but he still sees the God of Daniel through imposed imperial worldly law lenses. He doesn't yet see him as designer uh, 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 of how reality works. He hasn't gotten that far yet. But he's won over to this. This is finally the real God. This is it. But he still thinks he runs the universe like Darius is running Persia. And so he uses those methods to uh, a coercive edict to respect and worship the, the God of Daniel. There's more stuff in the notes, but we're out of time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how beautiful you are, how you are a God of love and truth and freedom, and how you've created your universe to operate in harmony with you. We do recognize that earth is that little spot still out of harmony with your design. And there's so many of your children here who, who are open to the truth, but, but they haven't yet heard it. They've been confused. Their minds have been obstructed from it by various distorted views about God told to them. We pray that your spirit will be poured out upon this class, upon our class members around the world, upon the materials that we distributed last week at the GC all over the world, that your spirit will bring heart and minds to conviction, free people from the distortions about you, transform lives to love you and love others more than self. And may this message spread and you come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen.